We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Welcome back to Everyday Acupuncture. I'm your host, Michael Max. Today, my guest is Mats Sexton. Mats is an acupuncturist up in, uh, in uh, where are you? The Arctic, Minneapolis. The Arctic, Minneapolis. <laughs> and <laughs> he has a specialty in working with people who have visual issues. Uh, in addition to being an acupuncturist, he has done an acupuncture sitcom, The Pin Doctor Show. We may get into that a little bit later. He's avid mountain climber, uh, climbed the highest peaks on a number of continents. But mostly what we're here to do today is talk about how acupuncture can be profoundly helpful for a number of different uh, visual and ophthalmological issues. So, Mats, welcome to Everyday Acupuncture. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, you know, we don't hear much about acupuncture being used for eye problems. It's famous for digestion, fertility, pain, that sort of thing. How did you find your way into treating eyes? Well, we had a, a family friend. This was back when I was still a student in acupuncture school in the mid-90s. And he came down with macular degeneration. And I didn't really know much about it at the time. But about the same time, though, a friend of my dad's passed along an article because he knew that I was in acupuncture school. But it was about uh, this man named Per Ada, who was in Arkansas, doing these so-called microacupuncture treatments for eye problems. And so I was just, you know, like, oh, wow, I, you know, I wanted to learn it. And so I um, talked to Per, and I had to write a thesis, too. So I thought, oh, that would be a great topic to write a thesis paper on. And so I called down there, and he, he was a little off-putting. He's like, well, you know, maybe call back some time and you know, we can learn it. So I, it was kind of frustrating. I kind of came to a dead end with it. But so I, I kept calling. I mean, it took literally five years for me to <laughs> him to finally acquiesce and let me come down and learn it. But at any rate, it's, it's, uh, so that's how I kind of came to learn it, uh, learn about it. 
And then it just kind of expanded from there. And more recently, I've been over to Denmark twice in the last five years and studied with a guy named John Bull. So he and his dad, John Bull Sr., have a clinic in, in uh, Copenhagen and also northern Denmark in Aulum. And they also teach um, really great people. I, I so enjoyed it. I went twice. <laughs> so, um, But really fascinating system that they have, too. But it is really interesting because... It, Generally, with you mentioned acupuncture and eyes, and people kind of wince about <laughs> the concept. Most of the points we use are in the hands and feet, so it's it's you know we don't go anywhere near the eyes. Right. So you you just use the term microsystem. I'm not sure that our listeners understand that. And then you mention no needles in the eye, which is probably a great relief for people. And yet you're using the hands and feet. So what is it about? I mean, what's a microsystem? And then what is it about the hands and feet that helps the eyes? Yeah, and so in acupuncture, most of the, the traditional Chinese points that you think of are all over the body. And um, with these various, there's several different so-called microsystems. So auricular therapy or ear acupuncture is a very common one where you can treat the whole body using the ear. You can also do scalp acupuncture. There's several different of these uh, Microsystems using the hands, and the one that uh, was developed by Freddie Dahlgren in Denmark that Pear uses, uh, they've taken the metacarpals and metatarsals, which are the long bones in the the palms and the the base of the feet. And the idea is that there's more energy at the heads of the bones, and so um, we're needling by those the heads of those metacarpal and metatarsal bones. So they've basically taken all the meridians on the body and transposed them on the hands. And then with the Acunova, it's a similar system, but they're actually going right into the joints. And they made a little miniature spine wrapping around the joints. It's, it's really fascinating. Sounds a little bit like the uh, tongue system. A little bit, yeah. So you're going, into the, you're going into the joints, you're going into the bones of the feet and the hands. Yeah, on the side, yeah. So not directly into the bone, yeah. Although the other, with the Acunova, you're actually going right into the, not very deep, but right up to the joint level. What kind of visual problems does this treat? So mostly it treats macular degeneration, um, but it also can treat some of the congenital diseases such as retinitis pigmentosa and um, Stargardt's. And so with macular degeneration, what happens is people lose their central vision uh, due to obstructions in the uh, the vessels in the retina, so the back of the eye. And then with retinitis pigmentosa and Stargardt's, those are congenital diseases that are you know, like a genetic issue. And so with retinitis pigmentosa, uh, clients lose their peripheral vision and then vision tunnels in. So usually that'll start in 20s, although it can start younger and then just progress throughout uh, the person's life. But really, there's there's not much conventional treatment uh, more recently, my dad has had macular degeneration. There's a so-called dry form in which these little vessels just get blocked with plaques. They call it drusen, um, but it's just a, it's pretty much the same as any other plaque that you can find throughout your body, in your in your brain, your heart, and your legs, etc. Um, but what can happen with these vessels is um, they can burst and bleed. And so the way I often explain it is if you had two panes of glass. And uh, so the back of the eye and the retina, and if you were to squirt paint in there and push those two panes of glass together and try to look through that, that's kind of like what happens with that when those vessels break and bleed. And so it can completely obscure vision or it can just distort vision. 
So, um, but my dad, his uh, retina started to bleed in December, and so I had to train an acupuncturist down in Arizona, which is where they, my folks live in in the winter. But uh, and then a conventional Western treatment is to actually inject into the eye, uh, the eyeball, with a, a drug called Avastin. There's also another one called Lucentis. And these are anti-cancer drugs, but they work by stopping, uh, like, what's that word, like extra vessel, uh, you know, vessels from forming um, and to stop bleeding. So, so he only had four of those shots, which is pretty amazing because um, people are often on those for years sometimes. But I also sent him some herbs that can help with, uh, it's kind of emergency coagulant. And then um, he's been seeing this uh, acupuncturist named Mary Papa, who I trained down in Fountain Hills, Arizona. And so he's been seeing her about two or three times a week. And uh, for about two months, the bleeding stopped, which is great. Great news. How often do people need to get treatment for this? I mean, if someone's a, a patient or they know someone who who might want to receive this kind of acupuncture, what are they looking at in terms of treatment? How often do they need it? And and what kind of results can they, generally speaking, expect to get? It's interesting with all of us that do these treatments, and there's you know probably 20-some of us only, which I'm, uh, we're all starting to train more people now, I think. Initially, I think pretty much all of us who do it, even John Bull in Denmark, we start with an initial 10 sessions, and they're done, um, it's very unique. So we do two treatments a day with about an hour between. So it's pretty intensive. Um, but I do some visual or some eye tests beforehand. So I do a visual field scan, some color field testing, a little uh, Snellen eye chart and something called contrast sensitivity. Have them look at an Amsler grid, which is like a piece of graph paper with a, a dot in the center. So you get a good baseline of how the vision is. And then I repeat those tests after 10 treatments. And then we tend to evaluate from there. If somebody's getting pretty good results, then oftentimes they'll do another 10 treatments fairly close together. And some people, I think, from what I've heard, they just do treatments maybe twice a year. But I don't look at macular degeneration especially, and that's mostly what I treat. Um, I don't look at that as an eye disease per se. And it's uh, to me, it's a systemic disease that's affecting the eyes. So it's this systemic issue with the the plaque formation and and inflammation. And so with my clients, I have them come in um, after this initial session, usually about twice a month at least for a pair of treatments. It usually uh, keeps people pretty stable. So initially you'll, you'll get on it with 10 treatments, maybe even 20. And then after that, there's, there's sort of a maintenance yeah, that people because do. I, you know, how with the acupuncture, how it works is, is it's, I think it's so essential to, you know, work with the whole body. We don't just try to, you can't separate the eye from the entire body, I don't think. As far as, I mean, we can concentrate on it, but. Well, I'm really struck by what you said. And, you know, and as an acupuncturist myself, I tend to see things this way too, that this is not just an eye problem. This is a systemic issue. And we're talking about plaques or we're talking about bleeding, you know, especially when we think about plaques in the nervous system, there's MS, there's Alzheimer's. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And the eye is, is an incredible organ of our nervous system. Yeah. And so it really just stands to reason that anything that happens locally is going to also have, you know, a more global aspect to it. So my suspicion, correct me if I'm wrong, is that in addition to doing the acupuncture, since this is systemic, 
you might have some things that you'd want people to consider in terms of diet or lifestyle or, um, you know, habits, exercise, things like that. Is this, is this the case? Oh, definitely. And I'm really working hard on trying to uh, emphasize the other branches of Chinese medicine too, the nutrition part and the exercise part. Those are so fundamental. And it's not that you have to all of a sudden you know, start training for a marathon or something, but just some daily activity in it. It really runs the gamut what people can do. But a lot of it, I think, is just kind of habit and getting people back into the habit. Sometimes having accountability is really important too. So maybe having a friend that you connect with or if you want to even go the next step and hire a, a trainer maybe once a week or join a class, I think that's really important. But also the nutrition thing, the the, the standard of care is really to at least for macular degeneration, is uh, they have people take these over-the-counter supplements. Not that they're bad, but I've been doing some decocting of what's actually in those supplements. And I, I'm a big pusher of food. I believe our, our bodies want food and not these little pills with artificial uh, vitamins in them. But what you actually need to get uh, the equivalent dose of what's in those supplements is so small. So it's like for the OccuVision or, Pre- or PreserVision or OccuVite are the two main formulas. And so for a dose of that, you'd need about two leaves of kale, a handful of nuts, and maybe a piece of fruit to get that dosage. So it's, it's not like you need to eat a, a whole bushel of um, leafy greens or something to get what's in there. It's, it's actually quite minimal. So generally speaking, what kind of things would you suggest people add to their diet to help with their eyes? And and also, are there any things that people should consider not eating because it will be the source of problems? Yeah, and I, I try to start out simple with people. The main thing I tell people to avoid is anything hydrogenated. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of people, and especially older people, tend to snack on you know a lot of convenience type foods, crack cookies, crackers, that sort of thing. So I'd say, you know, it's fine to eat those, but really be a good label reader and avoid anything hydrogenated because these hydrogenated oils are one of the worst things for your blood vessels. Highly inflammatory. Exactly. And also sugar. I try to encourage them to be mindful of sugar. So I I really start with just those two simple things. And if they can do that, I think that's going to go a long way. I, I don't like browbeat people <laughs> into, into, you know... I, doing a whole bunch of really difficult nutritional suggestions, but they can at least start with that. And then I do try to encourage them to increase their um, vegetable intake and try to sneak it in, you know, breakfast at lunch and dinner, try to get three servings a day in there somehow. But that's going to go such a long way for their overall health. Brain health as well. Yep. Do you send people home with any kind of exercises or things that they can do to help keep the treatment going and help keep their eyes strong? You know, there's there's the Bates method that's very famous, and that's been around a long time. Are, are there any things like that that you use? I actually send them home with a Xerox of my hand, and <laughs> I haven't, haven't met a fortune teller yet, but so... But on there, I have little dots, and I show them the uh, acupressure points to use for the different systems. And um, I will also send them home with a number five knitting needle, which is what we use to learn in uh, the acupuncture in um, Denmark as far as locating the points. So I send that home with them to do some acupressure on their hands. And then we, we sit and work with each other for 
to learn how much pressure to use and where to do the pressure. And then there's also uh, some diagrams for acupressure around the eyes that I sent people home with. Mm-hmm. So they can actually work with this themselves. Yep. I believe in homework. You know, especially for issues that are degenerative in nature, right? As time goes on, it's going to get worse and worse. It, it, you have to keep working on it. I don't think there's any one magic thing that makes it stop. Because like you say, it, it is systemic. It is. But I, the, you know, another aspect of, of so much of health, especially these eye conditions that seldom gets talked about, is the mental, emotional aspect of it. And so when people go in and get these diagnoses, they're basically told, you know, there's nothing you can do. Um, go home and, you know, go blind and here, take this vitamin. And I'm not trying to sound crass or, or smug or anything, but that's kind of the standard of care. And it's it's really unfortunate because you can imagine, like even in my dad's case, um, he's still driving, which <laughs> makes me a little nervous. But uh, but to be, you know, it, it's a loss of a person's sense of freedom and uh, connection to other people. And, you know, either getting out or when you start to lose your central vision, you can't recognize people's faces. So, you know, imagine not being able to see your, your wife's face, your kids' faces. And so you really start to lose this uh, a deeper connection with people. And so there's a sense of isolation and, and depression sets in. And so that's going to also have a, a physical effect as well. And as acupuncturists, we see that all the time, the emotional core of a physical manifestation of something. Right. And then that can take the problem and, uh, and make it worse. So your methods give people some hope. And give them some options. Yeah, definitely. I um, and I'm trying to, I guess, codify these in a sense. And so I've learned a lot of things from a lot of different people. So I don't really like claim to any of them myself. I mean, I've developed some other ancillary techniques myself. But what I am trying to do is sort of codify and collect all of these together in a basically like a patient manual for people and give people with macular degeneration, especially a, a year-long plan of action, because that's another issue, too, is when people get diagnosed, there's no real plan of care. It's just you know, maybe getting shots on a monthly basis in your eye or doing the vitamins. But to me, that's not really a real proactive plan for trying to make things better. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't reverse it. Right, right. It can kind of stop it. But um, And you had asked me earlier about what people can expect. And what I, to me, when it's successful is if I can drop people a couple lines on the eye chart within about 10 or 20 treatments. What I also notice is that, or what they notice is usually their color vision will start to come online better. Uh, central vision will start to improve. Uh, the best I think I've ever had is a, a man with wet macular degeneration. So he had sold his car and was kind of on this downhill slide and just depressed and we did, I think, 22 treatments, and he showed up one day, and I was like, where's, where's your wife? And he said, I drove myself. <laughs> so that was really great. So and that has happened where people just get really phenomenal results. Well, you know, it, it, it's true with any medical sort of intervention. There are people who respond incredibly well. There's the vast majority that will respond sort of how the vast majority responds. Some people it doesn't seem to help. You need to do something else or, or something else. Is- and that's happened as well. Yeah, yeah of course. I, I'm curious to know about other sorts of eye issues. So, I mean, you're dealing with some big ones. 
Yeah. Right. The issues where people are actually losing their sight. Now, there's other folks like me who used to wear glasses all the time, and I need them to drive. Yeah. But I never wear them inside, and I certainly don't wear them to read because my book would have to be, you know, out longer than my arm. (laughs) What about just the common, slow decline that a lot of people have with their eyes? They're not going blind necessarily, but they're getting weaker. And we need reading glasses, yeah. or we have trouble seeing at night, right? Or there's, or there's these new cars with these incredibly bright LED lights. Oh, the blue lights! Oh my God! I yeah, my eyes are at the point where I just cannot. I look at that stuff and I go blind. I have a hard time too, especially driving at night and if it's rainy. Yeah, those things. Those things are obnoxious. And when I was younger, I didn't have that kind of a problem with regulating the amount of light that comes in or goes out. So. The work that you do with people and their eyes, can you also work on these issues, or do you? Yeah, I, not as often as the more degenerative issues, but myself, I, um, I had really bad vision growing up, and I was like 2,800 or something, if that's even possible. Um, I was like, where's the E? You know, I couldn't, <laughs> where's the yeah. E on the chart? Where's the chart? So I, <laughs> where am I? So I had LASIK surgery about, oh, I think nine or 10 years ago. And my vision got really great. It was about 2010 and 2020. But now, more lately, and I'm 46, so I can't complain here, but I'm about 2030, 2040. But the other day, I sat down and, you know, I I don't treat myself enough, which I should, but I had a (laughs) free moment. So I sat down in the treatment room and I have these backlit eye charts on the wall. So I think it was about the the fourth line down. I was sitting in probably about uh, 10 or 12 feet away from the the sign and I couldn't read that fourth line. So I did the Acunova treatment on myself and I just laid back and took a little snooze for about 20 or 30 minutes. And when I opened my eyes, I could see that fourth line crystal clear. So, which is kind of interesting because the bulls say, well, it doesn't really help with the presbyopia issues, the nearsightedness, farsightedness issues, but um, something did. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. but I think it goes back to just general well-being and, and trying to stay well, which is such a cornerstone of Chinese medicine. Instead of waiting till, you know, I think I think the population I really need to be targeting is is like our generation, people in their, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, before they get these problems, and really encourages the nutrition part and activity and. It's frightening with the, what is it, half of all adult men now in the, in the states are obese. I, you know, that's a, you know, these are circulatory issues and, you know, long term. And so that the, what that means for vision, among other health issues, is, is kind of frightening. So um, these, I think these problems are just going to escalate. I hope you've enjoyed the first half of the show. Now it's time for a word from our sponsor, that would be you by popping over to everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and click on the link to support the show and leave a few dollars that will help to keep some inspiration in the teacup. You know, we run on only the finest oolong and poorer teas here at Everyday Acupuncture Podcast Central. No point in going all NPR pledge drive here to remind you that teas like that don't come cheaply. Just know that if you like the show, you can express your appreciation for these interviews with a small donation. As always, I love to get your feedback and ideas for future shows, so send those along too. Thanks again for listening, and now on to the second half of the show. 
think of our eyes as somehow separate from the rest of our body. Maybe because it's such an incredible, profound sense organ. It's just, it's so special. And those of us that are sighted, we rely on it much more than the other senses, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And yet, yes, it's connected to everything else. I, I don't think we often think about that. We think about our hearts, we think about our livers, you know, that kind of thing. But we don't often think about how uh, systemic inflammation, uh, issues with blood sugar, all these. Well, I mean, actually, blood sugar is a known issue. People with diabetes have eye problems. Diabetic retinopathy, yeah. Right? yeah. And so if most people go. knew how, uh, I'm always kind of, I mean, I think we keep everybody awake at night. If they knew how fragile and how little tissue we actually have in the retina that we get all of our central vision, all of our color vision, all of our detail vision from, I mean, it's like the size of an eraser head. It's just, it's so small. And to think how, I mean, the eyes are tough, but they're still kind of fragile, with the, especially those little vessels in there. It's just, it's, it's a little terrifying to think how much we get from that little bit of tissue. Yeah, we need to protect it. What are some other things that people can do? And, and let's talk to the people that are in their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, right? We, we don't necessarily have big eye issues other than maybe we're reading reader gla- using reader glasses. Other than diet... What kinds of things can we do to help protect our eyes and keep them strong? Um, physical activity, for one, the circulatory issue. So I know it's a broken record with diet and exercise, but it's so true. But also, more and more, I keep reading about things for or we're on our devices so much. And um, there's a new iPhone feature. Oh, I'm trying to think what it's called. Like oh, night shift. Night, night, shift. night shift. I love that. Yeah. So it yellows out your screen a bit or dims it. And uh, if you have an iPhone... You should really try that. And my phone is completely all the way yellowed out, but that really helps. I guess these blue lights and even LEDs aren't very good for our retinas. Well, there's that, but there's also this issue where it messes with your circadian rhythms. And so people that have sleep issues, because this blue light is coming in and and the brain is looking at that and going, oh, it's daytime. Uh, And I had a client yesterday, he was telling me, he's a computer programmer and he... I thought he said he did it on his phone. He switched it all to black and white. And he said that <laughs> apparently reduces your, your brain's craving for the, the phone. You know, like the crack Pez pellet kind of thing. Like, oh, I got to check my phone, got to check my phone. Somehow when it's in black and white, it um, reduces that sort of visual craving or whatever that comes from. That's interesting. Well, I've noticed with this this night shift thing, I mean, since we're talking about it, I recently got this sleep app as well. I've been curious. I've used sleep apps in the past, and they I wasn't so impressed. I'm using one now that I think it's actually accurate. And so I started using that to track my sleep about the same time I started using the night shift. Mm -hmm. So that in the evenings, both my computer and my phone are dimmed down to this yellow. Mm. I've been going to sleep earlier. Mm. it's curious. I used to stay up later. I was happy to stay up later. And now because my environment has this more yellow than blue light in it, my body naturally wants to go to sleep earlier, Uh, like an hour earlier than what I used to do. And I, you know, I don't know if there's a connection with that, but there's so much that happens with the eyes, not just in terms of how we see and how we interact with our world that way, but in terms of the color 
that comes in and, and the kind of light, it really it goes like way below consciousness, like down to those brainstem functions that have to do with circadian rhythms. When you're awake, when you're asleep, when you're alert, when you're when you're resting. It's very intense to that light, that blue light that it's it's uh, you know it just sort of commands your attention. Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to see how all that plays out as time goes on and they do more research with it. Now, your patients, this, uh, I don't know if you've looked at this or thought of this, but your patients that have visual problems, can they see things easier if they're using, you know, one of these new phones with the big bright screens or is that, is that a problem for them? No, that's actually been a, a life changer for so many people, iPads especially, um, because of the larger size. But then also there's so many ways in which, you know, they can change the background, they can make it black and white, they could do white on black. That's And then also another thing with iPad being so light and portable is that they can hold it. Uh, so if you have only peripheral vision or more peripheral vision, you can hold it instead of most of us read straight ahead, but they could hold it off to the left or right or wherever they have stronger visual fields. So that's made a huge change for people. And then just being able to simply enlarge things by the click and drag. Typically, People used to have to use this. It was like a big overhead projector like we used to use in grade school, you know, with the overheads. Mm-hmm. And so they'd have to put the book or whatever it was, the text in under that microscope, and then it would project on the wall or else project on another screen. So I think it's made a huge difference for people, definitely. Really been helpful for folks. Yeah. Yeah. Is your practice mostly treating people with eye issues at this point? Or you, do you have a general sort of practice as well? It is. I have I have both, which I re- I really enjoy. But I would say probably oh sixty percent or so of my practice is treating eye issues. But then the rest is a lot of just general things, aches and pains. Yesterday I treated two sore throats. Yeah, the u- the usual assortment of uh, interesting things that we see. Now, a lot of acupuncturists also listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, without getting too technical here. Because, you know, we don't want to lose everybody. What should acupuncturists know about treating eyes? What kinds of things would be helpful to other members of our profession uh, to consider when seeing people with these kinds of issues that they might not already know about? Yeah, well, I am um, just able to now start teaching these protocols, and I'm really excited about it. There's there's actually a protocol. If you actually Google microacupuncture, there's a, a patent document or Google microacupuncture and then patent U.S. patent office. And there's a document online. It's a PDF that has these, some of these points. I also encourage people to <laughs> pack your bags and, and head to Denmark and uh, train with John Boll. Um, B-O-E-L is how he spells his last name. But it's a really great experience there to learn that full system of Acunova. But I think what I'm going to teach in my class is the uh, be a a weekend seminar. It's pretty intensive, but I think any acupuncturist can learn it in that period of time, at least get a good foundation in it. It's it's not brain surgery. It's very specific, but it's it's very doable. But I think it's important to first test the eyes. So I'm going to show people how to do some basic tests. And we're not diagnosing, but we're just getting a baseline of, of how the vision is. I think it's so important to just for us to document, but then also for the patient to see, and then also the ophthalmologist to see, like, oh, wow, this is what happened in this period of time. Yeah, having those objective measures exactly. is so important because as we change, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this in your practice. 
I see it in mine all the time. People change and they get better. And it's as if they immediately get amnesia on the problem that they had because it's no longer bothersome, right? I mean, we're in our body. We're just us. So sometimes it's hard to notice our own change. Yeah, well, maybe it's just in my, my imagination, but like, well, no, you read three lines down on the eye chart. I don't think it's in your mind. Exactly. Having the, uh, having the objective tests is really, really helpful. Right. I'm not sure I'm seeing better. Um, let me get in my car. And, you know, so. <laughs> no, first, let's have you read this chart. Maybe it's the vitamins. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, this fellow over in Denmark, mm-hmm. how, any idea of how he came to this? Well, his dad, um, John Bowles Sr., um, I, who I've never met, ironically, it seems like every time I go over there, he's over here in Florida doing teaching or something. So I've, I've worked with um, the younger John Bull. He was really great. I enjoy him immensely. But uh, I'm sorry, what did you ask? The- I'm wondering how he came into this. So I don't know exactly. That's a really good question. But I think he, it sounds like he was quite a, a tinkerer. And um, he still practices, but he's doing mostly teaching, Jumbo Sr. So I think over time, you know, it, it progressed and changed. And even now, um, since I've been over there, which is almost two years ago, the last time, I think it's changed again, the protocol. And so they're constantly working with it. And they have quite a large population of patients that come through there, too, for not just eye issues, but all sorts of things. Like, there was a woman there. It was really fun. I was kind of teasing her. She hadn't walked unassisted for probably, I don't know, 20 years since she had a walker. And she wasn't that old, but I don't know what she had, what ailment. But they did about four or five treatments on her. And um, you know, I'd see her throughout the weekend when I went up there, and, and she was up walking unassisted. It was just amazing. So I think the implications with this Acunova for um, even orthopedic type issues and we have a, a facility here in Minneapolis called the Courage Center which works with people with pretty severe handicaps but um, it's my goal this year to get over there and show the acupuncturists who are working there how to do this treatment because it's it's so simple but yeah it can be so profound it only uses four pins at, per treatment and is this also hands and feet yeah yeah pretty much all hands and feet but then they have some other you know they'll use other joints too mostly the bigger joints like elbows knees ankles Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, yeah, but it's, once you learn it, it's, it's pretty, can be pretty profound. This is really interesting. I have been reading a book lately on neuroplasticity. It's a big, thick thing. It's taken me forever to get through it. And the basic premise of, of the book is that the brain continually changes and rewires itself. And even after mm. strokes and traumatic injuries and, and even things like Parkinson's or MS, while there may be areas of the brain that aren't functioning anymore, there's other areas of the brain that can pick up that load. And so, I mean, there's a number of things that this book talks about, but one of the big things that they come back to time and time again is how our neurological system is incredibly plastic. It's not like we were taught years ago that the brain gets wired and that's it. If you break a wire, you're done, you're cooked. You know, that's it. End of the road. And that's interesting as far as, I don't use a lot of it in my practice, but the, um, microcurrent stimulation as mm. far as using it on the eyes. In Western ophthalmology, we'll say, well, those, those rods and cone cells in your, in your eyes, they're, they're dead. They're just not functioning again. But the theory with that 
using the microcurrent stimulation is that it's it's re-energizing that ATP in the cells to refire, as I understand it. So it's not that they're dead; they're just not. It's like they're not not working, not firing. This is exactly what they're talking about in this book that I've been reading, uh, huh. which is called "The Brain's Way of Healing Itself." I'll put a, a link to it along with some other links on on the show notes page, so people can go to this stuff directly. One of the things that they talk about is that it's not just the the cells that do the firing, it's the cells around them that either inhibit or promote that are equally as important. And so this thing that you're talking about with the microcurrent makes a lot of sense. There's other people out there that are doing similar sorts of things. And given what an incredible part of our neurology the eyes are, that could just open up all kinds of possibilities. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Well, a little research to, to work on. <laughs> another another thing to add to the list. One more thing to add to the list, as if we need one more thing. Hey, speaking of things on the list, you have a TV show, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> the cult cult hit. A cult hit. <laughs> Tell us about it. <laughs> um, well, I uh, I love comedy and studying comedy, and we have a, a theater here called the Brave New Workshop. It's I think the oldest comedy theater in the in the country. It's even older than Second City. And at any rate. Um, so I went through there. It's been about ten years ago. They have a um, a course for improv comedy, sketch comedy, and uh, so I've always loved writing and doing comedy. And so I came up with this idea with two classmates, Kim Sigler and Peter Butler, uh, of doing an acupuncture sitcom. <laughs> and uh, so in it, I play basically a parody of myself, apparently, and then um, I accidentally reincarnate. The Yellow Emperor, who uh, Peter plays, and the Yellow Emperor is the considered the literary founder of Chinese medicine. So we have books attributed to him, whether or not he was real or not, it's up to debate. But at any rate, so I reincarnated him out in the uh, first episode, and he comes back to help me be a better acupuncturist, and you know, try to put me on the straight and narrow. And then there's some humor as far as him trying to acculturate. So let's let's bring it back here for a moment. What were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about eyeballs. Edit. Um, <laughs> anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners here about how Chinese medicine can help them with, with their eyesight? I, I'm thinking of one. Uh, I mean, this has happened several times, not just eyesight, but the importance of Chinese medicine as far as overall systemic health. So I had... You know, it's happened several times with people coming in for their eyes. More recently, there was a woman coming in for insomnia. And uh, so she was uh, early 60s. And she didn't even put on her health history that she had had constipation for about 40 years. It was just intrinsic to who she was. So we did about 15 or so treatments. And she, she came in and she's like, oh, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm going to the bathroom regularly. And I haven't done – it wasn't even on her health history. But there were some common points that would use to help, you know, tonify the yin. And uh, so I think that was such an important illustration about the importance of getting regular treatment. But how with acupuncture, even though you're working on maybe one thing like the insomnia or the eyes, but I hear it all the time where all these systemic issues start to come online. Like, oh, I'm less stressed. I'm sleeping better. I'm going to the bathroom regularly. I don't have to pee four times a night and et cetera, et cetera. It's really interesting how how that happens when people are consistent with getting treatment and and um they just everything starts to get better. But it kind of goes with my theory. I, I get really reductivist about things and I think maybe 
this is maybe not very nice to say for acupuncture is such a profound system, but maybe all it does is just bring down cortisol levels in the body because it's all these sort of stress uh, inflammatory type conditions that are just with the acupuncture. It's just they're all going away. It's really intriguing. It It is intriguing. And and as, as you mentioned earlier, and, you know, anyone that practices Chinese medicine knows, everything is connected to everything. You can't really touch one part of the body without actually touching everything else. So in addition to the issues that we've talked about with the uh, retina pigmentosa and the macular degeneration and just the overall sort of systemic way of, of helping eyes, are there any other eye issues that you've treated and you see some results with? Uh, one condition I uh, there's a couple glaucoma can help with that over time. I recently had a woman in uh, when she I have a it's called a tonometer it's uh, test um, eye pressure and so she was 23 uh, her pressure in one eye and then 21 in another and that's it's okay it's starting to get a little high when you get in your in the 20s you want it um, ideally mid teens for those pressures but we did a treatment. And then I tested her eyes again, and one eye was 19 and one was 17. And then she came back about two weeks later, and we tested her eyes again before doing any treatments, and they were still at 17 and 19, which is great. And then another treatment or a condition called uveitis or iritis, which is an um, inflammatory condition of the iris, the colored portion of the eye. It's an autoimmune issue, they think. Um, but what can happen is that when that inflames, it can stick to the lens. And I had one client who actually lost an eye to that condition. But that'll go into periodic flare with people. And there's some just really simple, I use, uh, there's a couple points on the feet, liver 2 and stomach 44 for any acupuncturist listening, can really help bring down a lot of that heat in the head. And I've had great results using those points and some other, you know, use the Acunova as well. So that can be a, a lifesaver. We're, so the client, I, we're just working on actually saving her, her other eye. She's only got about 15% of vision in one eye. So she comes in about every two weeks or so. And so it seems to keep her, keep her stable and keep her vision. Yeah, that's wonderful. This issue with the high pressure in the eyes, how's that generally treated with uh, conventional medicine? Usually it's treated with drops that are put in the eye. Um, there's various forms of glaucoma. The most common is there's a, a little canal, I believe it's called the Schlem's canal, and um, the eye is constantly flushing the, the fluid in and out, and so for various reasons that canal can get blocked, and so you start having this extra pressure in your eye, and what will typically happen is it will start to damage the optic nerve, and then you can go blind. Usually with the other retinal conditions, you don't technically go fully blind you lose um, like macular degeneration you'll typically lose you know blind spots unless it's a very very bad bleed then you can actually lose your whole lose your whole visual field mm -hmm. all right so if people wanted to get in touch with you either patients that are seeking this kind of treatment or acupuncturists who would like to learn how do they find you on the interwebs <laughs> you can go to my website it's pin doctor Dot com and um, we're doing a course in uh, June 11th and 12th and then I'm going to plan another course or two. I want to keep them ongoing um, probably in September or October 
And then uh, I don't know if anybody wants to brave the Minnesota winter, but uh, like maybe I'll do a winter one and then uh, keep doing them uh, as long as acupuncturists want to learn it. I'm really happy to teach people, and it's just I can't express how it's so important for all of us to learn these protocols. And I'd like to even set up an online course too that people can do and. I would like to see a curriculum as well for students in school because there's there's no reason this, these eye issues should be any different from treating constipation or common cold or anything. Um, we really need to be teaching all acupuncturists how to do this because really it's it's the best thing out there for these vision issues. Yeah. Thank you so much for your contribution and, and thanks for being on the show today. It's been wonderful talking with yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. hope you have enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. If so, please take a moment and visit www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com where you can click on the review on iTunes button to rate and review the show. Doing this helps other people to find the show. Also, you can express your appreciation by supporting the show with a donation. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time.